Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Jeff R. Steele. Dr. Steele is the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church of Coleman, Alabama. He's a conference speaker, owner of the Christian music group The Steels, and an award-winning singer and songwriter. Now, here's Dr. Steele. Colossians 2, verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, For in him dwelleth or lives or exists all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now that's short enough. I ought to be able to read it one more time. For in him, in Jesus, dwelleth or lives or exists all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You get that now. That means nothing can be added to what already is complete. When something is completed, nothing can be added to it. My wife sometimes cooks stuff that when I take a bite of it, I say, it's as good as it can get. In other words, if you put any more sugar in it, you'll ruin it. If you put any more salt in, you'll ruin it because you cannot add anything to completeness. What does that mean? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What what does that mean? If I were to use common 2017 vernacular, I would say when it comes to Jesus, it's all about him. It's all about him. What was in the beginning, what is right now, and what will be tomorrow when you wake up and for all of eternity, it always has been, it is, and it always will be all about him. It was all about him when he was born. When he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, from the Virgin Mary's womb, it was all about him. I'm afraid today when I hear some groups that venerate Mary so highly, some call her a saint. Some not only call her a saint, but some say she's the greatest woman that has ever lived. Some even worship Mary. I fear when I hear about groups that even go so far as to worship Mary, I fear somebody somewhere has missed the memo. What memo, Jeff, did they miss? The memo that says it's all about him. Yes, Mary, the precious mother of Jesus, you are the creation, but he is the creator. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, He made everything. Without him is not anything made that was made. Mary, his mother, he made you. The songwriter said it this way, the wonder of wonders, as she looked on his face, that this little boy, 
spoke the worlds in their place. The moon and the stars shining brightly on them, the earth and the sun were created by him. The wonder of wonders as she heard his small cry that this voice had thundered on Mount Sinai. His small hand she held so tenderly had once cut a dry path through the mighty Red Sea. The wonder of wonders as she looked down and smiled that he was her maker as well as her child. He created the womb that had given him birth. He was God incarnate, come down to the earth. This was no indiscriminate star that led the wise men to the place where they found the baby Jesus. This was his star. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says that they responded to how they got there by saying, we have seen his star, his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. It was his star, not just a nameless star in a constellation, not just the north star, not just a bright star, but the only star created for this purpose and this place. It was his star. It had never been seen before. It has never been seen since because it's all about him. If Mary, my son, if Mary were to be here today, she would say, my son, I loved him. I loved him like any mother would. But if she were to be here today, she would say, I must, if I'm going to go to heaven, I must receive him because the Bible says, to as many as receive him gives he the power to become the children of God. Mary says, I love my son as any mother would, but in order for me to go to heaven, he's got to go from being my son to me being his son. And why is that? Because it is all about him. There are, are no other gods before him. There will be no other gods after him. There are no gods like God, and it is all about him. It was all about him and his birth. It's all about him at the old rugged cross. There was a supper. We know it in church language as the last supper. Now, they didn't grasp that it was the last supper, but history has taught us that it was, in fact, the last supper. During that supper, Jesus said, one of you, John chapter 13 and verse 1, one of you will betray me. Now, please notice, he did not say one of you will betray us. He didn't say one of you will break up our club. One of you will put to an end all this fun we've had traveling around 
Israel healing the sick and raising the dead. No, he said, one of you will betray me. Why would he say that? Because it wasn't about them. It was about him. It's all about him. Everything was about Jesus. And in chapter 13 of John in verse 1, the Bible says his hour had come. His hour had come. When he would do what? When he would die for the sins of the world, when he would pay the price for the sins of all mankind. It says his hour had come. It wasn't the first time they had tried his enemies to kill him, to apprehend him. John chapter 7 verse 30 says they sought to seize him, but no man could lay a hand on him. Why couldn't they lay a hand on him? Because his time had not yet come. John chapter 7 verse 44 says they wanted to seize him again, but no one could lay a hand on him. Why not? Because his time had not yet come. John chapter 10 and verse 39 says they tried to seize him, but they could not seize him because his time had not yet come. When he performed his first miracle on the planet, when he turned the water into wine, he had to tell his own mother, don't, don't ask me to do that right now because my time has not yet come. But in John chapter 13 and verse 1, the Bible says, his hour had now come. The disciples would never understand until now, but now his hour has come. Judas could never betray him before now, but now his time has come. And Judas sets forth to betray him. Pilate could never have cast judgment upon him, but now his time has come. Before now, before the events that led to this moment had occurred, Judas couldn't betray him. Pilate could not pass judgment upon him. The disciples could never understand. But now it's time. It even said that about his birth. In the fullness of time, the Bible says, Jesus was born of a virgin. Now his time has come, and now he can die. He couldn't come the first time until the fullness of time had taken place, and he can't leave this earth until his time has come. And now his time has come, and it's all about him. You see, he's not on the innkeeper's schedule when he came the first time. He's not on Mary and Joseph's schedule when he came the first time. He's on his schedule because it's all about him. And now it's time for him to pay the price for your sins and mine. And once again, in the fullness of time, when his hour had come, he could go to the cross. Isn't it amazing? They borrowed a stable that first Christmas morn. They borrowed a manger where Jesus was born. The Son of God had no place to call home, but on Calvary's mountain, the cross was his own. He borrowed from a lad some fish and some bread. He broke it and blessed it and thousands were fed. He healed a crippled man in another man's home, but on Calvary's mountain, the cross 
was his own. They borrowed a room where his friends gathered round. He borrowed a donkey to ride into town. He borrowed a garden where he prayed all alone, but on Calvary's mountain, the cross was his own. The cross was his own where he died all alone for your sins and mine. He left his heavenly home. No kindness, no mercy to Jesus was ever shown. But on Calvary's mountain, the cross was his own. The Bible says the disciples forsook him and fled. The only soldier that's ever mentioned because they have faded into insignificance, the only soldier that ever got mentioned is the one whose ear got chopped off of his head by an overzealous Peter, the disciple. And the only reason his name's ever mentioned is because Jesus knelt down on the ground, picked up his ear, reattached it to his bleeding head, and healed his broken body. That's the only reason that guy ever got mentioned. Why didn't he get mentioned? Why don't all the rest of them get mentioned? Because it's all about Jesus. Why don't the forsaking disciples get mentioned any more than they did? Because it's not about them. It's all about Jesus. Pilate, who cares about cowardly, vacillating Pilate? He has no power to do anything except that Jesus gives him the power because it's all about him and his hour has now come. We love symbols, don't we? You and I, we love symbols. I'm sure today, if everybody was to at least pull down the front of their shirt, we'd see on many necks, on chains this morning, crosses. Some people have a cross in their pocket. They reach down in it every once in a while, and they'll just feel that cross in the day and age you and I live, some people have crosses tattooed on their body. Some on their stomach, they've got a cross tattooed. Some on their wrist, a cross is tattooed. We love that symbol. One of the most ridiculous arguments I have ever heard in my life is amongst Protestants or evangelicals or Christ followers. They want to yell and scream at the Catholic folks and say, you've got that crucifix around your neck or up in your home on your mantle, you've got that crucifix. You need to stop looking at Jesus on that cross because he's not there anymore. He's been taken off the cross, put in a tomb, and the tomb is empty now. Well, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. While you need to stop looking at Christ on the cross, you need to stop looking at him in the tomb as well because he's not at either place. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. We need to stop looking at Christ on the cross. We need to stop looking at Christ in an empty tomb. And we need to start looking at the man who died on the cross. We need to start looking at the man who was resurrected from the tomb. Because wherever he is, it is all about him. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If I had one more sermon to preach, and this was it, and it may be, I don't know. If I had one more opportunity to share with you what's mostly on my heart today and has been throughout my ministry, and who knows that I will ever have another chance besides this one, this is what I'd say to you. 
I've been honored and privileged to preach around this nation and in different parts of the world. What I'm about to say to you right now, it's all about him. For 40 years, I have stood on platforms across this nation, some of the smallest and some of the largest, and I've had the opportunity to say to people just like you, in Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, our lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman and redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our day spring from on high and our ever living redeemer. In Psalms, he's the Lord our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, the wonderful four-faced man. And in Daniel, he is the fourth man in the burning fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. But don't you get your eyes too much on that fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar because that's a symbol. That story's not about Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. That story's not about King Nebuchadnezzar. That story is about the one who Daniel wrote down and said, he looks like the fourth man. Oh, he looks like the son of almighty God. So don't get your eyes on anything but him. He's what the fiery furnace is all about. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the last days, saith God. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, the mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. And in Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying, revive thy works in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he's the savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. And then in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Then all of a sudden, the heavens that had done nothing but talk about him, because it's all about him, for all of these centuries of time, all of a sudden the heavens grew silent as though the walls had turned to cement and all communication about him had ceased. For 400 years, God said nothing. And then one night on a Judean hillside, some shepherds saw some angels spill out over the balcony of heaven. And the angels were singing, glory to God, glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. They couldn't contain it anymore. It was all about him and they had to sing about him and they had to sing glory to 
his everlasting name and the gates of heaven swung open and communication with earth about him started again. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, the wonder worker. In Luke, the son of man. In John, the son of God. In Acts, the Holy Ghost and fire. In Romans, he's our justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, he's our redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Philippians, he's the God that supplies all of our need. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our soon-coming king. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, he's the one mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the great physician. In 1st and 2nd Peter, he's the chief shepherd who soon shall appear. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's everlasting love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000s of his saints and in the revelation God gave to John on the island of Patmos, which is a place they considered to be an insane asylum in that day. He probably confirmed what they thought about him, that he was crazy when he looked up into the heavens and he saw something that made him go, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he couldn't stop. He said, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. 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 King of kings forever and ever. And Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. John looked and saw who he was. John looked and saw who he is. And John looked and saw who he ever shall be. And John started to shout and John started to sing. So don't you dare go to sleep while I tell you. John said in the revelation, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I can't hear you. The son of the living God. And ladies and gentlemen, it's it's all about him. It's all about him. You know, pastoring a church, you learn some things. Sometimes you wish you didn't know. People come and sit in the office with you. You'll never be judged for anything you tell me as your pastor in this church, I promise. You never will. I know some things right now about some people even in this church from years gone by. Lord have mercy. If I was suicidally tendon, I'd just shoot myself this afternoon. Just stuff I know about y'all. Doesn't have anything to do with stuff I know about me. Stuff I know about y'all is enough to make me blow my brains out. I wish I didn't know all that stuff. But I can promise you it'll never be told. It's here forever. And after I've heard from you and we've cried together and we've prayed together, we leave it at the feet of Jesus and we go to the house. Because all about him anyway. We leave it at his feet and we go to the house. But you know what? I'm going to tell you I'm a little bit human. Here recently I was watching a production from a church 
where I used to be the pastor. And folks got to singing on there and they got to crying, raising their hands. And I caught myself. I caught myself saying, wait a minute. I remember when that old boy was in my office and we were crying our eyes out over some horrible thing that had happened in his life. And now look at him up there with his hands raised. Tears flowing down his face. Who does he think he is? Then I saw another one. A couple of young ladies up there, hands raised, tears flowing, joy all over their faces. And I caught my human self saying, who do they think they are? Because I've been in their presence when they told me their story. How can they be so happy and so joyful about this event they're singing about? And then it dawned on me. You self-righteous, pompous, arrogant, sorry preacher. Do you not even believe what you preach? And the voice continued, you better believe what you preach. Because while they sat with you, you sat with me. And I heard your filthiness. And I heard your problems. And I took my red blood and I washed your black heart as white as the driven snow. He said, you know why they're crying? You know why their hands are raised? You know why they're so happy today? Because, Jeff, it's all about me. And I decided forgiveness was what was in order here. I decided mercy and grace was the order of the day. I decided to let them go free. I decided to wash all their sins away. That's why they're so happy. They know what they did, and they probably know more about what they did than you know after they told you what they did because they didn't tell you everything. But deep in their heart, they know everything they've been forgiven of. They know everything I have pronounced forgiveness over their life about. And yeah, they're happy. And Jeff, you ought to be happy too. You ought to be happy too. You ought to be crying with them. You ought to be raising your hands with them because the angels were right when they sang glory to his everlasting name. Now listen, I'm through. There's some of us in this room right now. Some of us across this room right now. We don't feel like we can come to God. We don't feel like we can do anything for God. We don't feel like we can have any part in what's going on. We come to church here, but we really don't feel a part because we messed up. Please let that sink in for a minute. We messed up. We did something we should not have done. 
We've been places we should not have been. And we can't get past it. You know why you can't get past it? You can't get past it because you think it's all about you. But it's all about him. I said, you can't get past it because you think it's all about you. But it's all about him. And that's why you can come. That's why you can be saved today. Because it's not about you, it's about him. It's not about what you've done, it's about what he did. It's not about where you were, it's about where he is. And he is sitting at the mercy seat today, ready to extend mercy and grace to you. Because he is the sacrifice. And it's all about him. If you've been saved today, but you feel like there's something that keeps you back, if you believe there's something that keeps you back, you still think it's about you, and it's not. It's about him. If you've never been saved today, you're not saved has to be because you think there's something you can do to affect your salvation. It's not about you. It's about him. There was nothing you could do. There's nothing his mother could do. Nothing anybody can do because it's all about him. This book teaches us from the first page to the last. God set a time for him to come. God set a time for him to die, to be sacrificed, to be resurrected, to ascend back to heaven. And friend, God didn't mess up. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. If you'd like to contact Dr. Steele, you can go to his website at jeffrsteele.com. If you'd be interested in Dr. Steele coming to speak or having the Steeles minister at your next event, there's a booking inquiry form there. You may also call the office at 256-590-2068.